is episode 101 of Offscript with Trish Close, Intimate Interviews with Interesting People. And joining me today via Skype, I have Valentin Thomas. She is a free diver, spear, fisher woman. That's quite the title <laughs> you have. Yes, definitely. I definitely have an unusual job, to say the least. <laughs> you have, I don't even know if it's an unusual story. It's an impressive story. It's a pretty incredible story. Um, I first saw you on Joe Rogan, the podcast you did with him. And I honestly, I had, when I Google Spear Fisher woman, you pop up. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> what kind of photo is it? <laughs> it's the good photo. It's the one of you in the wetsuit. I think you have like, I don't even know the term for it. Your, your spear gun. Is that what it is? Yes, it's a spear gun. Yes. Okay. So um, I did a whole bunch of research on you because I just, I could not wrap my head around the fact that you left this job to do this other thing that eventually became your passion. We're going to talk a lot about all of this, but talk, break it down to me like I'm a five-year-old. What is a free diving spearfisher woman? So basically, so spearfishing is when you're diving while free diving. So we don't use tanks. So we hold our breath to dive deep and hunt for fish. So you have a spear gun, which is powered through elastic bands. And then you either put yourself at the bottom of the ocean to try to kind of hide and actually hunt for a fish, or you do blue water hunting when you have, when you're in 150 feet of water and you're waiting for a fish to come and get curious at you. <laughs> oh man, we're gonna talk a lot about, about, a lot about that. First though, where are you from originally, <laughs> Valentin? Um, I'm from Montreal, uh, Canada. Did you grow up with siblings? I do have a younger sister. Okay, what was it like growing up in Montreal? I was, it was pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty far away from the ocean, so it's, it was, uh, you know, playing soccer in the back streets and parking lots and... <laughs> right. Uh, what did your parents do growing up? Uh, my mom is a corporate lawyer and my dad is an interior designer. Oh, very different. <laughs> <laughs> did you were, you, were you fishing as a young kid? Did you ever do that as a kiddo? Not really. I've, I've tried it maybe like once and you know those like farm trout thing when mm -hmm. you, you, you put your, your, your rod in the water and there's so many fish that you catch one after literally one second of having your line in the water. So I wouldn't really call that fishing. <laughs> right. I will say I have a fantastic, beautiful memory fishing with my dad. I think I was maybe seven. It was off my grandparents' dock on a lake. The first fish I caught was a catfish, and I thought it was just the best. It's the best feeling in the world. It's amazing, especially everything that comes after it. The whole, like, cleaning it and eating what you right. just caught. Even if it's not a good fish, it still tastes amazing just because of the fact that you caught it yourself. Yeah, I threw that sucker back, though, because it stung me. The, the catfish. <laughs> yeah, totally, it did. Um, so growing up in, let's say, high school, for instance, what were you like in high school? Extremely unpopular, actually. Um, I was uh, very severely bullied for a few years, and I had literally no friends for the majority of my high school. What? So yeah, I got I got beat up repeatedly. I got spit on. I had very horrible uh, high school years, actually. Why? <laughs> why? Why were you? Why were you the target of bullies? Um, it was something ridiculous. Just one of the popular guys asked me out and the popular girl got angry at me and it just went down the rabbit hole after that. Yeah. But it's, it's good, you know, there's a silver lining. Like now I, I 
I would never hurt anybody intentionally because of it. I think that I became a better person because of it. So it's, it was, there was something good. Yeah, I think you're probably laughing at some of those kids right now. Um, so you didn't have any friends in high school. No. <laughs> were you were you a smart kid? Were you a smart student? Yes, I was a smart student. So you ended up going to law school, right? Yes. So the whole idea of becoming a lawyer, I'm assuming that comes from mom. Yes. Well, it was actually, it was my childhood dream, weirdly. So since I was four, I wanted to be a criminal lawyer. I've always wanted to do that. So it was literally my childhood dream. That's... So I went to do my law degree, then I did my master in law after. That's really weird. <laughs> at four o'clock, or at four, at four years old, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a, a corporate attorney. Um, so you knew in high school that this is what your path is. You're going to law school done. Yes. What law school did you go to? I went to Sherbrooke University in, uh, in Quebec. Oh, okay. Um, after that, what kind of law are you looking to practice? Criminal. Criminal law. Okay, so that yeah. never changed. Okay, gotcha. No. Um, and do you move away from Canada at this point or what, what's next for you after law school? So basically, so I did my master in law, uh, back in Montreal and then, I don't know, something was kind of keeping me from wanting to keep pursuing that. So I decided to move to London. So my dad is French, so I do have a French passport. So I had the possibility to go move to Europe. So I decided to, uh, to go and do that. Okay. How long were you in London? About six years and a half. Okay. And how was that? You were practicing law, right? Uh, no, actually, I, I made a move to finance when I was there. So I'm, I worked in a hedge fund uh, for about, um, yeah, for about six years. Okay. And was this a satisfying job? <laughs> it was intellectually challenging, but I wouldn't say that I, I found my calling in life. <laughs> okay. So, well, let's get to this this first expedition that you took, how did this come about, this first fishing expedition that you went on? I, I met a cute guy who was really into spearfishing, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll try it. That's <laughs> always how it starts. It always starts with a cute guy. Always. Always. <laughs> and, but the thing is that I didn't want to go at first because when I was 14, I, I almost drowned. So I was in a holiday with my parents, and... I passed out. I got caught in a current. I passed out on the water. The lifeguard had to save me. Mm -hmm. So it was like me and the ocean were not friends at all from the start. So it was really all about. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's talk about that. You guys were on, where were you vacationing? You were 14 years old. In uh, Biarritz. So in the southwest of, of France. Okay. And what, what were you guys doing? Were you on a boat somewhere? Like what was, what was happening? No, we were just on the beach, and okay. that, that coast is very well known to have very strong waves, and I went for a swim, and so they have these undertow currents that just appear out of the blue, and I, I just got caught by one, and I was fighting, fighting, fighting. You're not supposed to fight, but I was 14, I didn't know, and I just tied myself up, and I, 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 just, I just passed out. And so what happened next? Lifeguards came in and had to... Lifeguard came into the water, they grabbed me, like, you know, like in a movie, like in a Malibu episode, put me in, dropped me in a beach, a helicopter came, it was slightly traumatizing. Yeah, that scarred you. That scarred you a, a little bit because you essentially were afraid of the ocean. You had, the, that was a fear of yours. Oh yeah, definitely. For about 10 years, I refused to swim in the ocean. Maybe apart from like Thai's deep type of sort of swimming thing. 
Right. Okay. So cute guy convinces you to go on expedition. Uh, uh, this expedition. Where do you guys go? Where is it? So first of all, I did a free diving class in Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, and then after he convinced me to go uh, spearfishing, which is this very weird military island, which is owned half by the British and half by the U.S. And we took a military plane to go there. And it's a very advanced spearfishing destination. So I was really put right in the middle of it very, very quickly. Yeah, for sure. And how does this work when you go spearfishing? You, you take a boat out somewhere in the middle of the ocean, and then that's when you go diving? Yes, you can either dive from shore or you can take a boat pretty much. The boat, what you do is they drop you in the water, and you're kind of drifting with the current. And you just make your drop up and down, up and down, and the boat is just behind you, kind of following you gotcha. at a distance. Okay. So this this first trip that you're taking, I mean, are you freaking out? I'm absolutely petrified. I um, remember sitting in the back of the boat, my heart is pumping. I'm like, what am I doing here? Why did I say yes to this? I just want to be home. I want to watch TV now. Yeah. And, but then I jumped in and it was really beautiful uh, under the sea. And then I, I caught my first fish that day. And even though it was a pretty bad fish to eat, it was a blackjack. Uh, just the fact that I cut it myself, I was like, this is the most amazing fish ever. So oh. that's kind of when I fell in love with it, even though I was still very scared of the water. So that very first trip, you were hooked. Not it's a really horrible pun, but, but you, were, you were hooked right then and there. <laughs> Kind of like I fell in love with the whole process. The diving thing still took me a good two years to be very comfortable in the water, considering that I was so scared of everything. Okay, what was it about it? What was it about that that whole first adventure that just changed your life? Well, it's the fact that I always love food. I'm, I'm really co- cooking is really a passion of mine, and it was. All of a sudden, you know, my entire life I've been buying my food at a grocery store and all of a sudden I just created this fantastic connection between me and my food and me and nature. And I just discovered another part of, of, of me that I didn't know exists, you know, the whole hunter and gatherer thing that you could definitely not see when you look at me. But I was like, oh, my God, it's there. I'm a hunter and gatherer. And it was just this kind of mind blowing connection with myself as, as, as a homo sapien when you think about it. For sure. So you've always been into cooking then? Yes. Okay. Was your family, or do you have a family full of cooks? I mean, was that a big thing for you guys as a family growing up? Uh, not that much. It was more like when I was really a kid, I was grabbing cookbooks and I was already making things. And in college, when everybody was spending a lot of money in beers, what I was inviting my friends to have a lamb tikka masala Friday night in my house. And people were like, what? Uh. Do you have pogos? <laughs> do you have corn dogs? <laughs> awesome. So that first that first trip, you catch a blackjack. Is that what you said? I think blackjack fish. Yes. With yes. with a, a spear gun. Yes. Okay. Um, do you clean it? Who cleans it? Like who? Like how how does this whole process where you're eventually like eating this fish that you said wasn't even very good? <laughs> well, I, I did everything, which is I'm, I'm very lucky that through my learning process and spearfishing, I was not. None of my friends were taking me by the hand, so they were always making sure that I was doing everything myself. So mm-hmm. actually, before that, that spearfishing trip, my friend made me build my own spear gun to make sure that I understood very perfectly how the equipment works. So my friends have been really pushy when it came to learning everything and do everything myself. 
which I'm really grateful for at the end of the day. Yeah, those are some good friends. Um, so at this point, from this trip, you go home, maybe back to your life, and does this trip just stick with you? Does it linger? Like what, what's changed in you where you're like, I just, I can't do this day job anymore and I, I have to change something? So it was kind of a long process on the whole, like now I was just realized that when I was going out with friends to the restaurant, first of all, all I could talk about is fishing and spearfishing and cool trips and, and London and people were really looking at me being like, what, what, what are you talking about mm -hmm. crazy lady? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it was really kind of a change in mentalities and change in values and change of, of connection of what I was doing. So. I was finding my job more and more boring and also not only my job, but the fact that I was realizing that I'm really working for what here to get an expensive apartment in London, to get a lot of expensive shoes. And I kind of reconsidered my value and, and who I was as a person. And then when I got hired to do a documentary uh, in South Africa in 2016, even though I was paid, paid barely nothing, when I came back, I was like, wait a minute, I can have a cool job when I do what I love. It's going to be less money. But this is actually would give me the most amazing career that I could ever hope for. You were, were you finding yourself at work Googling like spearfishing things instead of actually working? <laughs> I Literally mean, all day long. <laughs> really? Really? Like what kind of things, what kind of things were you Googling? I mean, were you just at this point so obsessed with it? You're just trying to figure out everything? Pretty much. I was always showing my photos to everybody. I was always trying to Google new destination. What can I do? How, how, how this could become an actual job? It was, I just stopped paying any attention to what I was doing. I had, I was, I had no interest for it anymore. Yeah. When did you finally quit? That was about four years ago. Really? God, that wasn't yeah. that very long ago. No, it was very, very recent. <laughs> Who reached out to you for this documentary in 2016? Uh, it was a director that, who worked for a uh, French TV, a French TV channel. I just wanted to do a documentary on my double life as a woman working in finance and as a woman who goes on extreme fishing mm -hmm. uh, trips. I'm always curious how people like this find out about someone like you. Like, was it through social, social media? media. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, speaking of, your Instagram is so incredible. Like these shots of you underwater, I butt clench when I see them. I'm just like, oh, I don't even, <laughs> like, you're in the middle of nowhere, but they're so stunning and gorgeous and graceful. It's just, yeah, they're, they're beautiful. So if, if anyone's listening to this, go to her Instagram page right now and look at all these photos because they're incredible. So this Thanks. documentary, yeah, I mean, he finds you via social media and what was your first thought? I mean, did he call you on the phone? Like what? How'd that work? Uh, no, he sent me a message on Facebook and then he told me about his idea that he wanted us to go to uh, South Africa to go film something. And I was just really thrilled about it mm -hmm. because for me, any occasion to be talking about my fishing and to be actually fishing was just fantastic. Because again, like I was still working full time in my job. So it's not like I had the holiday uh, just to, 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 to go fishing all the time. So sure. any occasion was good enough for me. Did you think this request to film this documentary was almost like your ticket out where you're like this is it it was because it definitely changed my mentality of you know i want to be a woman working in finance uh earning a buttload of money and now i was like you know what actually there's better options in life and it's it was 
I didn't know still what I was going to do, but I knew that something else was there. So it kind of gave me the, the, the push to, to want to even explore the possibility of, 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 of doing something different. Um, this was in 2016. Where in South Africa? Uh, Durban. And then we uh, drove the coast uh, all the way to uh, the border of Mozambique and Sudwana Bay. Okay. So there were multiple, multiple expeditions that you took on this whole trip? Yes. Okay. What was the experience like having having a film crew essentially follow you underwater? It was really sharky. <laughs> Ooh. Um, it was I was I was definitely not super comfortable in the water, and because they were filming, you know, I kind of had to be like, "I'm brave, don't look scared." So it was a little bit interesting when it came to that. But uh, the water can be a little bit murky in South Africa, so it's kind of green and it's extremely extremely sharky. So it was. Uh, a, a mental experience for sure. <laughs> Do you think that because you had a film crew following you, you had to have this, um, I don't want to call it a fake confidence, but did that help with your confidence doing freediving? Yes, definitely. Because actually freediving and spearfishing, it's, it's a lot mental. So normally we say that it's about 80% mental. So it was really about, so I'm, I'm a very anxious person. So I'm, I'm, I'm so you're either born anxious or you're not. It's had nothing to do with the, the amygdala on the front part of your of your brain, and it's it's. So I was, you know, I was I had a lot of panic attacks when I grew up, and then this whole spivishing thing kind of really helped me pushing through mentally because again, you're putting yourself in an environment where you're not as strongest. When you're in the water, you're giving up strength, speed. Pretty much any advantage that you can have on land, so it's it's really it's really mental to be able to to stay there and face your fear and kind of have confidence in yourself in the water. Have you had panic attacks underwater? Once. Yeah, where was that? Uh, that's because I was in Mexico and the boat ran out of gas and it left me in the middle of the ocean by myself. Shut up! Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How long were you out there by yourself? About two, three hours, something <gasps> like that. Were you just treading water the whole time? So I was like swimming toward shore. I was maybe about six, seven miles away, so I was pretty far. So I was just like, okay, I guess I'm better. Started swimming. <laughs> oh my gosh! Did you find? Did you ultimately make it to shore? Obviously, or did they come back and get you? And uh, another boat miraculously passed by. It could have run me over too. But no, I managed to see it. I was making big sign. I was like, oh, help, 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 help. Yeah. I finally came and they, they, they picked me up. Good grief. Yeah. You've, I'm surprised you still do this. <laughs> That's impressive. So the documentary, um, how long did you guys shoot for? Uh, it was about 10 days, 12 days. Okay. And then how long did it take for that to come out? Uh, came out maybe three, four months afterwards. Okay. Wow, that's pretty quick. Were you happy with it? Were you satisfied? Yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty good. I mean, it was. Now it was pretty funny to to watch it years after because there's, he films a part of it in London, so you can see, you know, like with my London life, you can see my yeah. beautiful apartment, my dogs, my brand new Mercedes. You can see all of that, you know. So it's really funny for me to see that now. Now I have a 2008 old SUV with a broken transmission, but <laughs> that's. <laughs> Let's get to see the difference. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's probably a little surreal to see these two lives that, you know, the one you had and the one the one you have now. Um, so in 2016, I think you said that's when you really said 
I'm doing this full time. Yes. Where Where do you go from? Where do you go? Like, where, where do you go to do this full time? Like, how does how does one start this career? So I I, I did it completely wrong. I, I moved to Florida with a little bit of savings, maybe like three thousand dollars. And after about two three months, I had no money left. I was living in my car. I was eating box macaroni mac and cheese stuff and i was like okay so like i'm 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 not doing this properly but again i was sitting on my ass waiting for people to call me and it was then i quickly realized that you know it's yeah you have to work hard if you want to to get something in there which has been working relentlessly for the past four years and it, it really start paying off so it's that's all you need pretty much willpower and hard work yeah what was it like leaving that life behind, leaving the Mercedes behind. Did you leave your dogs behind? No. So I brought my dogs with me and uh, (laughs) I left the boyfriend, but not the dog. (laughs) Well, the boyfriend can always be left behind. Dogs are a completely different story. But what was that like, leaving, leaving all of that behind? It was, it felt strangely really, really good. Then it's not... I didn't even hesitate, and for me, it was just, even though when I was sleeping in my car and barely barely could feed myself an empty bank account, counting my pennies, I was still happy and not regretting the decision that I took. Yeah. Was it scary? A little bit. I was talking with my mom um, earlier this week, and I was just mentioning I was going to do this interview with you, and I told her your story a little bit, and she said, I just don't have that gene. Like I, she's like, I just don't have that, um, whatever it is, to leave everything behind to do something that you really want to do. And I would, I would agree. I think a lot of people don't have that in them or just can't do it or they're stopped by fear. No, definitely. And I mean, it's often it's, it's the fear of failing or the fear of disappointing other people. This is normally the two main things that stop people. But... At the end of the day, it's it's all about making yourself happy. So if you're happy about having a stable job and this is what brings you happiness at the end of the day, it's the only thing that matters. It's just about making sure that you're not doing this to please other people. Do you feel because, like Well, sorry, do you feel like your job in London was to please other people? Um, uh, it was actually to please kind of I'm gonna get society standard in a way. Because I was pursuing money, I was pursuing kind of the wrong, you know, the whole chasing, having a bigger apartment, having a better car every year. So it was this whole kind of rat race type of thing. Well, success. I think we view success. If you're successful and if you are somewhat powerful and if you have money, then you're on this level, wherever that level is. So I think success probably has a lot to do with it as well. Yes, no, definitely. And my... my, my dream at that time was to have a big house and just having that, that kind of lifestyle and live in London or in New York or in LA. And now just the thought of being in a big city is absolutely daunting to me. And I, mm. now I want my own chickens to have my own eggs. I want a garden. I want to be close to the ocean to catch my own fish. So it's. I love it. <laughs> well, I love it. That's a book. Um, so you're in Florida living in your car. And I think. This happens to a lot of people, myself included. We kind of wait for some for something to happen to us instead of making that thing happen. 
Did you get to a point where you're like, hey, no one's, no one's going to give me anything. I actually have to push and work for this. Yes, it definitely happened because what I was found myself doing is I found myself kind of resenting successful people and not understanding why it wasn't me. And so I just had to take the time and sit down and, and reflect. And, and the, the hard part about that is, you know, when you're doing it in introspection of the kind of person you are, sometimes you're going to discover you're not as great as you think you are. And it's really about looking yourself in the mirror and try to it's a good balance of trying to be a better person and then the other hand trying to to believe in yourself so it was, it was it's not an easy process but it's it's definitely worth it at the end of the day yeah how did you start that process of becoming this by reading a lot of books <laughs> yeah on i'm assuming on spearfishing on spearfishing on on how to become a better person mm. on how to be happy on on marketing, on literally every subject that I taught could be could be useful for me. Was there a book that you read that changed everything for you, or was it just a culmination of everything? It was just a combination of of, of everything. I read a lot. I read probably a book uh, a book a week. So it's it's really about learning as much um, as you can. Yeah. Information is key. Okay. So do you just start taking? expeditions and documenting these and just putting it out there putting you out there uh yes definitely a bit more and i i start spending a lot of time too and bettering myself as a diver because again as as a woman sometimes it's going to be a little bit difficult because if you look at a photo you're like oh there's no way she's doing that uh she's probably like a fraud there's no way she caught a fish that big herself so it was sadly even, you know, in 2020, as a woman, very often you have to double down when it comes to proving yourself in order to have credibility. Of course, it did open some doors for me, but it also had to make me work twice as hard as a man would have. Yeah, that's a little nauseating. Um, did the documentary help? I mean, did that open doors for you? A little bit. Yeah. Not as much as Joe Rogan, though. <laughs> well, I was going to ask. I mean, that's where I discovered you on Joe Rogan. What kind of response did you get after that interview? Um, I got a lot of, of new followers, and I got a bunch of opportunities of people kind of contacted me. And I guess that it also really helped well, the credibility of, you know, not be able to be able to tell my story and to kind of explain what I want to do beyond Instagram, because Instagram is a meme, but again, it's not about, Instagram is not life. <laughs> no, it is not. You do, um, you've done a few TED Talks, right? Uh, yes, I have two, one in French and one in English. Okay. Yeah, I think the first time I contacted you, you said you had a TED Talk, and I was like, oh, I'll watch it, and you're like, yeah, it's in French. Sorry. <laughs> um, when did you, did you learn English as a young child, or when did that come about? No, I actually learned English when I moved to London okay. in 2010. So that's pretty recent. <laughs> yeah. Well, good for you. Two languages there. Um, so at this point, you know, over the last four years, I guess we could look at, how have you seen your life change? I know it's that's a loaded question because there's a ton of things that have changed with you. But do you see every year that's passed, it's getting better and better, you're getting more experience, you're going on more trips, you're, you're getting your message out there, which you have a pretty big message. 
I'm actually going less and less on trips just because, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm working more, which is really good. And it's really interesting to see that, you know, when you have your own company, it's really good and motivating to see that all the effort that you make is actually are being uh, fruitful at the end of at the end of the year. So it's now I've, I'm starting to work with bigger organization. And so it's really about my main mission is to educate the public when it comes to a uh, better consumption habit with seafood and every year I manage to reach more and more people and work with bigger bigger uh, associations so it's it's really good it's really rewarding because it's just about trying to make even a tiny 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 little difference in the world for sure sounds cheesy but <laughs> no no not at all I mean I I tend to think we all have like buttons on the front of us and certain people push certain buttons and you never know what button that you're pushing for someone and that could be the ultimate change for them. So where they take your message and your information and completely change the way they eat. And that's huge. And it may be one person, but it's still, it's one person that wasn't doing it the day before. Exactly, it's exactly the way I see it. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a platform that's big enough so I can, I have the, the I have the voice to reach a lot of people. And it's, it's while I do, uh, respect the decision and other people doing that, it would be easy for me just to use a platform to to show myself off and do that type of stuff. But it's, it's I think that it's, I'm, I, I don't like the term influencer because it sounds like I'm selling face cream online, but <laughs> nothing wrong with selling face cream online though. No. But it's it's just about, it's it's really important when you have a voice to use it for to, to, to the right reasons. Yeah, do you feel like your mission changed at some point or your passion maybe? that you started out just wanting to do this and now you're like, it's taken on a completely different role? Oh, definitely. And a lot of people are often asking me, oh, so, but I don't have a passion, so how can I do this? And it's not, you don't really need a passion because when I quit um, everything, I only knew two things um, as a fact. And it was a fact that I didn't know, um, I knew that I was not happy with what I was doing and B, I knew that I love cooking the fish that I caught. Mm. So it was really about trying things and this part of my friends, but about throwing a bunch of shit on a wall and see what sticks. <laughs> nice, nice. Did you, <laughs> when did you, you have a cookbook out, right? I do, but it's in French only at the moment. That That's I'm lame. On the, That's lame. It is. Um, it is. No. Uh, so when did that cookbook come out? It came, uh, came out in April uh, last year. Oh, okay. So you are a sustainable seafood advocate. I mean, this is, this is what you push every single day. What came first for you? Sustainable, sustainable food, sustainable eating, cooking, um, or this passion when it comes to like finding your own food, the hunting and gathering? Was there something that came first, the, the fishing or the sustainability? It was the fishing because okay. when I started fishing, so basically the um, the proximity with the ocean and the fish and the, the marine life created that care. Okay. So it's again, you know, people don't start foundation on cornea cancer if they don't know anything about it. So it's the same thing pretty much with the ocean. It's about the fact that being in there and being in the ocean all the time, this is where this is what generated the care that I have for the ocean. And then after that, to sustainability. Exactly. And you've gotten some pushback in the last few years. A lot. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, thank you. Next question, please. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you're, you're getting criticized for pulling out a fish a day, right? Yes. It's, I mean, it's about, it's, again, still today, there's a lot of, of brands that refuse to work with me because I do an act of, of, of killing. And it's, my, it's, it's kind of something that makes me sad because when you're thinking about ocean conservation, you're thinking about plastic straws or getting the plastic out of the ocean, which it is a very valid cause. And it's really something that we need to fight for. But 46% of the plastic in the oceans are fishing nets. So we need to address fishing. We need to address our consumption habits. And again, if, if everybody kind of want to turn a blind eyes and make food sourcing something taboo, then how are we going to make progress in this? Because mm -hmm. let's look at commercial fishing. A lot of it is done, in your opinion, wrong. It is, it's just about some fishing methods are absolutely horrible. So it's really... Uh, some of them had to be stopped completely, and but commercial fishing is here to to stay, and especially even the per se, like a gigantic nets, they're not going to go away anytime soon. So we have to find ways to work with those uh, fishing methods. It's because you cannot tell people stop doing everything completely; they're never going to do it, because again, there's a social and economical aspect to 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 fishing that we need to take under consideration here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, where I live, for instance, Southern Oregon, there's the beautiful Oregon coast, Southern Oregon coast, and there's a lot of uh, fishing families that this is, they've depended on this job for generations. And this is how they make their living is, is fishing the oceans. Exactly. And we cannot, we cannot deny that. We cannot deny other people's culture and, and way of living. And it's, it's, it's just, we have to take this under consideration and give them the value that, the, that they deserve. Is there a concern, not for you personally, uh, well, I don't even know how to phrase this. Is there a concern, because we've seen so many studies that we're, we're fishing the oceans too much, that in a certain amount of time, the oceans aren't gonna have any fish left because we're just pulling everything out. Um, you obviously aren't part of that. You're, you know, some of these trips that you're going on, you're pulling out like one fish a trip, correct? Uh, more than one. Normally what I do is because I, I cannot go fish every day. Sure. Um, I go maybe once a week and once every three, two weeks. And then I make sure that I have enough food to, to, ah. to eat until the next time that I go fishing. Okay. So what do you say to some of these studies then that show, you know, projections of in the next 20 years, this is what the oceans could look like when it comes to fish? So I, I think that I'm being a little bit negative and so, by example, when I say that 80%, 87% of the fish are either overfished or fully exploited, fully mm -hmm. exploited is not necessarily a bad thing because then it means that it's, 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 it's fish to the sustainable, maximum sustainable yield, which means that it's fish to the level that it can regenerate it for the next generation. So there's actually, I'm not going to say only because it's still a lot, but it's 33% right now of the fish species that are overfish, the fish stocks that are overfish in the ocean. So it's, we are definitely getting better and better at it, mm -hmm. and we just have to keep going and just keep keep pushing on this. But it's not at all bad and doom and gloom like um, a lot of people seems to be thinking. Like the media 
that media out there, they're just constantly putting out those <laughs> negative vibes. What can consumers do? I mean, I'm, I'm a huge lover of seafood. So as a consumer, what can I do to do my part if I don't go catch my own? Um, one of them is could be to vary the type of species that you eat. So maybe try to stay away from very uh, common species such as tuna, salmon, cod, or halibut, by example. Mm -hmm. And then, so try different things. It's, the ocean has thousands of amazing species that we know nothing about. And kind of to change people's palate and taste, and now we can relieve that pressure. Mm -hmm. So uh, the fisheries are going to change their behavior accordingly. That's definitely one of them. Right. Well, and there's the power of being a consumer, right? If if we say, hey, we don't want this anymore, we would like this instead, I mean, they make it happen. It's all down to the dollar. Exactly that. The offer is there because it is the, there's a demand to it. So it's buying something at a grocery store is probably the biggest political act that you can ever make these days. Everything you buy kind of counts because everything you buy, it's, it's a vote to dictate mm -hmm. what kind of planet you want to live on and how you want a government to be treating uh, pretty much the ocean and then everything around you, or people for that matter. Um, the other thing that you can also do is check for uh, reliable eco-labels. So you have the MSC, you have OceanWise, you have Greenpeace. So if you see an eco-label sign, and that's really a, a very good sign. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, be very aware of greenwashing. So there's a lot of company that put responsibly sourced on the product. That, that doesn't mean anything. And it's also, it's not because I can tell about myself that I'm queen of the world doesn't make me the queen of the world. Same thing for seafood. So you just have to be really careful about what's out there. Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm a big foodie. I love to cook. And I think that goes with everything, whether it's vegetables or even if you're a meat eater. I mean, we really have to be responsible as consumers. And I want to know where my food comes from, for sure. Like, I, I definitely want to know if something that I'm cooking and eating that's going into my mouth, I want to know where that comes from. Well, especially with everything that I've been saying. So there's a lot of seafood fraud. Yeah. And this industry. And I think in Canada, in a lot of the biggest cities, up to, I think Montreal was 61% of the fish that, was, that were mislabeled. 61%. Imagine if 61% of your meat was mislabeled. Right. It would be an outrage out there. And people think, oh, it's just fish. It doesn't really matter. Actually, it does matter because a lot of seafood, so about 47% of the seafood we consume is farm. 86% of that seafood is coming from Asia where they have very uh, uh, looser regulation when it comes to the chemical they use and mm -hmm. when it comes to, 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 to the way they're farming. And then there's less than 2% that have been inspected by the FDA. So... And there's a lot of horrible product that found themselves inside of or um, at grocery store. So that's why it's really important to know where it's from and who treated it and how they did it. What are your thoughts on farm-raised fish? Farm-raised, again, because it represents almost half of uh, seafood protein for the population. We have to keep going with it. But the problem is that so the White House, about three weeks ago, they just decided that they want to fund a lot of uh, aquaculture because they don't want to be dependent on Asia anymore. I think this is a very, very good initiative because in this way, in the United States, now you can start farming, hopefully properly and with more regulation uh, uh, fish, which is a really good idea because again, it's going to relieve the pressure of uh, our oceans. And then again, you're going to be able to create amazing uh, product uh, nationally 
at way uh, at way less cost and with a carbon footprint that's going to be way 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 better. So I I have heard both. I mean I've heard that you know do not at all support farm raised you know fisheries and then I you know it's just stick to wild caught wild caught. So you're actually saying those farm raised if if we could get more of that here in the United States and it's done properly that would be the best way to do it right now. Yes, there are ways to 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 farm. Again, is you have to make sure that um, what you feed the fish is not fish caught in the ocean, because mm. then again, it's just then you're not solving any problem. So, but you have some amazing and really good tasting species. Uh, tilapia, by example, would be one of them, or even trout, where you don't have to feed them on a fish. And then there are ways to to farm them in a way that's friendly for the environment. So it's just about continuing those amazing projects. So there are solutions out there. You just have to to, to basically do them and then stick with them in the right way. Preach, honey, preach. So when you <laughs> when you go on expeditions now, you said you actually catch, you catch enough to fill your freezer and then you're good for a few weeks. Is that what you're doing now these days? Uh, well, now I've been, because of COVID-19, I've mm-hmm. been stuck uh, as in the UK for a little while. Uh, for about three months, and I flew in with uh, 50 pounds of fish. <laughs> nice, nice. So I made sure that I add my own fish, and then now that I'm in Montreal, I don't have uh, any options, so I'm discovering local new species that are in season right now, so it's actually pretty good for me to also extend my own palate when it comes to my own backyard, actually. Fantastic. And I think you said you are are you in sort of a transition right now where you're not doing as many trips, but you're working more? Is that the case? Yes, I'm working way more, which is really good. I'm finally taxing up on a lot of my back office and different projects uh, that I need to do. And this time made me realize that I probably should slow down when it comes to, to travel a little bit and just to organize myself a little bit better. I'm not an organized person whatsoever, so this was definitely <laughs> helpful for that. <laughs> Um, cause you were traveling like constantly. Yes. And I know that, you know, I, I do compensate my carbon footprint because I know a lot of people get a little offended by that. Uh, but again, it's very often to go give conferences and then to work. So it's, I very rarely go on a trip just for fun. Man, I, there's so many, there's so many trolls out there. I just feel like there's a, there's a saying that I love. My husband says it to me all the time. You could be the ripest, juiciest peach on the planet. Not everybody likes peaches. I just feel like you're, you're not going to make everyone happy with everything you're doing. And it's just, it's annoying, but whatever. <laughs> that's actually my favorite saying. So that's really funny that he said that. <laughs> really? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I discovered it. I discovered it a few years ago. I just feel like you can't, um, especially when you're in the public, you're, you're not going to make everyone happy and it's pointless to even try. But um, that's a good saying that I always have in the back of my mind. I agree. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, what's next for you then? Like what what's on the horizon? Uh, so right now I'm working on a company called uh, Superhumans. So Superhumans is going to be uh, a platform where I'm going to be offering people uh, breath work to help with well-being in general. So I really realized that pretty much the way you breathe is really defining how how kind of how it's kind of hard to explain just like this, but it's a so it kind of dictates if you're stressed or if you're not stressed. 
Yeah. And because we live so much in a stressful world when everything around us makes us basically freak out. So it's really about helping people to take a minute to just slow down and then change a lot of your physical, physical, physiological responses to that as well. So that's I, one I of them. And then again, about how to, you know, how a small girl like me with suffering from anxiety managed to facing sharks and things like that. So it's really a bunch of platforms. We have tools when it comes to helping people mentally and, and physically to, uh, 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 to well-being. Um, that's so funny that you said breath. I was um, uh, a little nervous about this interview this morning because you're kind of a big deal. And my husband texted me and said, tactical, tactical breathing. So breathe into your belly for four seconds and then exhale for four seconds. And that tends to just calm everything down. Through your nose. Yes. Yes, through your nose, <laughs> and then exhale through your mouth, right? Uh, actually, through everything through the nose. Everything. It's probably better because, so I like to say the nose is for breathing, the mouth is for eating. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you would know, um, you, when you free dive, how, how long can you hold your breath now? Uh, five minutes, 45. That's insane. That is insane <laughs> to me. That would make me have a panic attack. When you first started, though, it was what, just seconds uh my first time doing statics it was about a one minute 30 and pretty much everybody can do one minute 30 because it's we're we're made to hold our breath it's called the mammalian dive reflex so it's so like penguin has it uh seagulls dolphins and it's mm -hmm. basically allowing uh different species to hold their breath to go catch food or something and as human we do also have it so there's ways to trigger it right do you was it something that you had to practice or was it something that when you took a trip, you were just constantly getting better at breathing? Of course, like the more you do it, the more time you spend in the water, the better you get at it. And it's, it's, it, it all goes down to breathing at the end of the day. And it's that it's either to relax yourself, to focus yourself, or even to, to, to hold your breath. It's just, it all goes down to breathing. Okay, so superhumans is what this is called. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Awesome, I wrote it down. I'm looking forward to that. Um, let's get back to fish. What was, if, if you have like a craziest dive, was there just some dive that you were just like, this is insane, scary, bizarre? I mean, was there just like a crazy dive that sticks out to you? Um, one of my first ones actually, so it was during my the, the first pivoting trip, I was in the water and all of a sudden, we see that big shadow coming, and I'm like, what is that? I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm hiding behind my friend. I'm like, what's that? What's that? And it came closer and closer and closer, and it was a 12-meter. Sorry, I don't know what foot. I'm, I'm not it's okay. my foot. People like can look it up. Foot, <laughs> a 30-foot long uh, tiger, uh, tiger shark. Sorry, a 30-foot long whale shark. Nope. Nope. So... So they have no tea, they only eat plankton, but it was one of the most impressive thing I ever seen in my entire life. It was, first of all, it came so close to us and it was just swimming with us. It spent the entire day just trying to kind of like come right under us and it was just such a beautiful experience. And I was, I was my, my mind was completely blown. <laughs> that, that would be incredible, absolutely amazing. Was there a worse dive, a really bad one where everything went wrong? Yeah, a few. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of them was probably, 
I was in uh, the east coast of Florida. I was in Jupiter. And I'm in the water. There's a, a lot of current. So my roommate uh, anchors the boat. And we're doing like dives up and down. We're on top of a wreck. So we're staying very close on the boat because it's, it's hard to swim back to the boat. And I shoot a fish. And now all of a sudden, there's 30 bull sharks around me. Uh-uh. So I'm like, ah, oh, shit. So I'm <laughs> starting screaming to my friends. I'm like, shark, shark, shark. And they both jump in in the water with me to try to help me. And the next thing we know, we look. The boat is about a mile away because we were in the water trying to fight off the sharks. So my roommate is like, okay, you guys, you stay here. And then I'm going to go get the boat. So we're, we're each other like we're back to back. I have my spear going with no spear in it, and he's holding my spear, and he hold, he's holding my fish. And then I dropped the fish. He's like, no, no, we're keeping it. I'm like, no, you dropped the fish. No, 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 we're keeping it. We're keeping it. So I'm like, oh. So we keep pushing the sharks away. Oh, my took him half Took him half an hour to, to swim all the way back to the boat, and he wanted to pick us up. And we kept the fish, and we ate it. <laughs> you guys were like bait at that point. Oh, it was bad. I was like, just give them the fish. They're going to eat it. It's going to be the end of it. They're going to see this. There's nothing more interesting here. It's going to be gone. <laughs> have there been a few close calls for you where you're, you get out of the water and you're like, oh, that could have ended real bad? Uh, yes, a few times. But it's, I, I like to think of sharks pretty much as dogs. It's, you can see if, if you see it, mm. a, a nice shark who's just right there then you can see by the way he's behaving. Same thing if you see a bad, aggressive dog, the same thing with a shark. The way he's going to be, he's going to be swimming really, really fast. He's going to have his fin down instead of having his fin on the side. Mm. So it's, it's all about reading their, their behavior. And if you see the shark is in a bad mood of being aggressive, you just go back on the boat and you just change spots. Yeah. Jeez. I, I'm <laughs> surprised. But, I mean, that's, this is your, you know, and I, again, I think you wrote something, you actually sent it to me, and people ask you all the time, you know, how did you, how did you start this? H how did you start doing this? How can I start doing this? And you've said multiple times, it's not for everybody. It, it's not. It takes a lot of hard work. You're not just going to jump off a boat and spear a fish, and now you're a spear fisher person. No, exactly. First of all, you need absolutely a free diving class. So you need to do a free diving class. So there is a commitment of about three days of learning pretty much the ropes uh, when it comes to, 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 to spearfishing. So, and you know, the equipment is not that cheap to, to want to get started. So it is, it, is, it is a commitment to start spearfishing. Right. Does it annoy you when people say that kind of stuff? Like, how did you do this? I want to do it. It's fine if they do, but it's more, I get a lot of people being like, oh, do you want to take me spearfishing tomorrow? I'm like, it's a little bit more complicated than just me throwing you in the water. First of all, if a shark shows up yeah. and you start panicking and flapping the water around, you're going to get both of us killed. So probably not a good idea. Right, right, for sure. Do you have, <laughs> is there a best fish you've ever eaten? Um, it depends for what. So I really like um, hogfish when it comes to grilling fillets like on a pan. Mm -hmm. I like uh, wahoo a lot for sashimi. I like, I have so many amazing species out there. Is there a really that's bad really one? Hard to pick. Is there a really bad fish that's just gross? Yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you ever, have you ever, um, spear to fish, you bring it up and fillet it, and you're just like, yeah, this is not good. 
yes, it happened to me with a fish called uh, Jack Crevalli, I think. Okay. I caught it. I thought it was edible. I caught it up and I looked at the meat and I was like, ooh, this is not going to be good. Just the, the smell out of it and the, the color, you can kind of kind of know. What do you do with those? Good. What do you do with those fish? Uh, normally, throw it back to the ocean so it kind of goes back into mm -hmm. the ecosystem. Uh, when I had my dogs, I was just giving it to my dog. Awesome. What kind of dog? <laughs> do you have one dog or two? Uh, two. I don't have them anymore, sadly. It's uh, two two sausage dogs. Um, I, I really wanted to keep them, but because I was moving around yeah. so much, uh, they started being a little bit aggressive and started like trying to bite people. So it would have been a selfish thing to do for me to, to, to keep them. So yeah. I had to make the ridiculously hard decision to, to give them away. That is sadly. Tough. But ultimately you have to do what's best for the pups. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, you have been so much fun. Thank you. I, I so appreciate you sharing your message. And um, I think you're an absolute inspiration. I know for me, because it's whenever we change things up in life, especially if you've been doing something for a number of years, it's scary to really scary to follow your passion and your dreams and leave everything behind that you've always done. It is. No, definitely. And, you know, like I've been fired of so many jobs in my life because I didn't understand why I wasn't fitting. And I just because, you know, at school, you're not really taught that entrepreneurship is really an option. You know, I thought that you had to be a genius inventing something to have you, you, your own company, but you actually don't. So it was really a pleasant surprise for me to find my my path this way, I guess, because I started thinking that, okay, like something is wrong with me clearly because nobody wants to work with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, need to, I need to do some soul searching. Do you, are you a believer of everything happens for a reason? Uh, yes, I am actually. It's everything happens for a reason and also you can make pretty much everything happen for yourself too. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm just looking back at your story I'm telling you, if it wasn't for that cute guy who invited you on this expedition, I mean, he changed everything. Everything. Man, that's awesome. Um, all right, we're gonna wrap up and get to the final three, but before we do again, just, just thank you for sharing your story. Um, if people do want more information on sustainable seafood, um, is, is there any place where even on the website, like a website or something where we can just get more information? Yes, definitely. So you can check the website of uh, the MSCs at the Marine, Marine Stewardship Council or even OceanWise or Greenpeace. They have plenty of information. Uh, I'm working on my website right now to hopefully have really simple and digestible mm -hmm. information for the consumer. And my Instagram also posts a lot about everything that's related to uh, yeah. that type of stuff and when's that cookbook coming out in english uh if you know a publisher in english introduce <laughs> me to you i'll take it okay <laughs> we'll hook it up i'll find somebody i'll find somebody all right let's get to the final three which i had to tweak just a little bit um best advice you've ever been given that uh even if you are the swedish sweetest most amazing peach in the world because nobody likes peach <laughs> Yay, that's so funny. Um, that's awesome, that's really good advice. Uh, if you ever left this place, I usually ask this to Southern Oregonians, but if you ever left this place, meaning planet Earth, what would you miss about it the most? 
I would miss just being able to be part of nature and things surrounding me. I would miss being in the water, being in a desert, deserted beaches, cook food, and just enjoying the beauty of, 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 of nature, pretty much. Okay. And I think I know the answer to this next one, maybe. Final meal, final drink. I'm going to start with a drink because that's the easiest one. It's going to be red wine for me, for sure. Awesome. Uh, and a final meal would definitely be fish and lobster and sea snails and sea urchin and just a table filled up with seafood. A buffet of <laughs> seafood that you caught. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Uh, one more time, Valentin Thomas, thank you so much. If you are listening to this podcast on Apple's podcast app and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and you can watch it at ktvl.com. You can also find me on YouTube. Just search for Offscript with Trish Close. And one more time, Valentin Thomas, thank you so much for sharing your message. And good luck with the farm and the garden and the chickens, all of that. Good luck. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for having me.